You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, always good to be invited back. It means I didn't hurt you too badly last time. But you do know when I do come, since uh, we're so out here and I can't get you to come to Phoenix Seminary, this is my way of bringing seminary here. So, welcome to class. You will not be graded, but I will be watching you. <laughs> um, Holly and I, we just turned into our 70s, and it sucks. Uh, I mean, it's the strangest thing, because, you know, um, if someone passes away in their 40s or the 50s, you go, oh, it's tragic. They pass away in their 60s, you know, you go, well, you know, so short. But face it, you pass away in your 70s, what do people say? Well, they had a good long life, and so Holly and I are ending into a decade that you don't really care if we're around the next five, six, seven years. But, but the numbers does mean this. I have been following the Lord Jesus Christ for well over half a century. Came to Christ in 1966. I was 16 years old. And you know, the older you get, relationships start getting more important to you. And as relationships, and Holly and I are reevaluating our personal relationships, I find myself wanting to evaluate the most important relationship I have with Jesus Christ. And I felt a little bit of a drift, not, not, not in belief, but in relationship. I have found myself that one might even describe my relationship with Jesus for so many years has been much like a lawyer and his client. I have defended Jesus. I have studied Jesus. I have stood up for Jesus. Uh, he's one of my best clients, and I'm his defense attorney. And I'm going, what kind of relationship is that? And so as I've thought about, you know, Jesus, I relate to him as my Lord, so I, we worship I, I have a relationship with him as my savior, so I'm grateful for the fact I don't have to be driven by fear, shame, and guilt. But then Jesus says something very interesting in John 15. And it just jumped out at me a few months ago, and, I, and I've been pondering and studying, thinking about it. It's when Jesus simply said, you are my friends. I would no longer call you my servants, but you are my friends if, you do whatever I say. Now, the first part of that sounds pretty good. I like the idea that Jesus wants a relationship with me as a friend. But then he's got to add this, that is, if you do everything I say. Now, how would you feel if I came to you and said, hey, let's be friends. Just do everything I say. I mean, how gently would you tell me to jump into the lake? And so, why is it that I would not tell Jesus to jump into the lake when I said, that's not any kind of relationship? I mean, if, if for to be your friend and for you to be my friend, I got to do everything you say, I don't know if I want that friendship. But I do want that friendship. But I understand how come it depends on whether or not I do whatever he says. Unless there's something more going on here, in the Hebrew language, the word for love is ahava. And there's the word ahiv that comes from that word that speaks of a friend, a loving friend. And, and the reason I, I share that with you is because the essence of an ahiv 
is someone who recognizes your worth and cares for your well-being. Actually will do something to bring your well-being upon yourself. Well, do I want that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah, but what's this I've got to do everything he says to be able to, I mean, really, who does he think he, he is to demand obedience if there's going to be a friendship there? There's got to be something else going on here. Now, now if you want to get to know Jesus deeper, if you want to know about Jesus being the fulfillment of prophecy, then study the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to study about Jesus being the perfect being, then study Luke. If you want a Reader's Digest on does the faith in Jesus work, study Mark. But if you want to get to know Jesus in depth, it's the Gospel of John. This was written by the, the human being who was the closest friend to Jesus on this earth. Matter of fact, the gospel he writes is after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have been written. And he goes back, this whole book, the gospel of John, 20 days. It's just 20 days in the life of Jesus. Chapters 13 to 19, almost one third of the book, one day, one day. So if you want to go deep to understand the way Jesus thought and what was behind his thinking, you go to the gospel of John, written by this eyewitness because remember, we have an eyewitness account of the crucifixion of Jesus in John 19. Why? Because he was there. He was the only apostle not to betray Christ. When everybody else ran, he was there. That's why most likely he was the guy that did not have to die as the others were martyred. As a matter of fact, remember later on he gets in trouble with Rome and they exile him on a penal island called Patmos. But there he receives the book of what? Revelation. Well, then Domitian, the Roman emperor, gets assassinated. Ah. And so John gets off the island, goes back to his home church at Ephesus. He becomes the bishop of Asia Minor, those seven churches, which is basically Turkey today. And so here's this man, and around AD 70, he writes this gospel of John because he wants us to understand this whole thing about Jesus, because the question I'm coming with is it was John who heard Jesus say in John 15, you want to be friends? You want me to be your friend? I want to be your friend. But you're going to have to do everything I say. What well, gives him the right to say that? Why would he put that caveat on that kind of relationship? And why would I want that kind of relationship with Jesus as a friend? How about we'll just worship him as Lord and I'll be grateful as Savior. I'll let him be an icon, you know, wear little crosses. And can we just leave it like that? It seems easier and I'll just live my life. And he will not be one of those close relationships. When I categorize my friends, Jesus will not be one of them. But something's wrong with that. Jesus ought to be the very first one. So I've got to find some answers to this. This is one of those come reason with me messages. So don't get angry, but I'm going to stretch you a little bit, all right? So he, in the gospel, we start off with chapter 1, and right out of the gates, John tells us why he writes this. At the very end in John 21, he says, now, Jesus did many other things. These things I've written that you might believe that he's the Son of God, that he's the Christ, and that by believing, you'll have this different kind of life called eternal life. It's a relationship life with your Creator. And it is all tied to this 
this Jesus and apparently some kind of friendship with him. So notice right out of the gates he begins. And this is how John starts his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, now he starts off by saying in the beginning. Do you see the parallel here with Genesis? Genesis 1-1, the first thing God wanted to introduce himself to us as, like, hello, let me introduce who I am. I'm the one who made everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when John says here, in the beginning, beginning of what? The beginning of beginning. That is before anything was created. In the beginning, God created. So before that, that's the beginning that John's talking about here. Before any angel, before any being, before any galaxy, any universe, before anything was created, in the beginning was the Word. So we say, okay, God's eternal. So before anything was created, there was God. But was God alone? According to John, he wasn't alone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. So here he is before all creation, God, but he's not alone. He's with this person or whatever, and it's called the word. The Greek word is logos. And the logos was God. He, the logos, the word, was in the beginning with God. Now, normally the word for with is the word soon. But that's not the word John uses. The word uses the word pros, from the word prosopon. Prosopon means face in the Greek. Pros means face to face with somebody. So it speaks of an intimate, close relationship. So before the creation of anything, there's God. He's not alone. He's with this logos. And he's in an intimate relationship with this logos. Now stay with me here. John's not going to try to be mysterious or tricky. Because look at verse 14. He tells you exactly who the logos is. And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. So in verse 14, John tells us, who's the Lagos? Remember Sunday school, when in doubt, the best answer to shoot is what? Jesus, Jesus right? So say, say Jesus, all right? Yes, yeah, Jesus. Well, but if this is, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is when the word, this Lagos, became flesh. Christmas, and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son. Well, well, John, why don't you call him Jesus up here in verse 1? In the beginning was Jesus. Because in the beginning, he wasn't Jesus. The Word did not become Jesus till Christmas. Because remember, remember old Mary's in trouble. Mary's pregnant, and the word that's going to get out is some Roman soldier raped her and she's in trouble. So someone shows up to Joseph and says, Joseph, you got to make sure you defend this lady. And remember what angel? We only have two angels named in the Bible and this was one of them. And it was, anybody know? Gabriel. Gabriel shows up to Joseph in a dream. Says, Joseph, she's telling you the truth. That baby was conceived by the heavenly father, not some wild Roman soldier. Joseph, you need to marry her, you need to adopt the kid, and you need to protect her into your home. And you will call his name Jesus. Jesus. 
So it was Gabriel who introduced the name Yeshua, Joshua, Savior, Jesus. But before Jesus was Jesus, he was the what? The Word, the Logos, who was in the beginning with God, face to face in his intimate relationship. Huh. So, so this Word, Jesus, was the Word. Now, why, why does John call him the Logos? Why don't he call him Max? Or, you know, or, 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 or you know, something else. Remember, um, by race, John was what? He was, again, these are easy questions. I promise, I'm not trying to trick you. He was Jewish. John was Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish. John was Jewish. But he also lived among the Greeks. Especially he was from Bethsaida, which was basically a lot of Gentiles up there. Well, the word logos was a big word, popular word in those days among philosophers. Among the Greek philosophers, the word logos spoke of the, what was behind the meaning of life, the purpose, the answers to all the questions on why am I breathing? What, where am I going? Who am I? Why am I? What I? That was called the logos for the Greeks. But the Hebrews, John was Jewish, the Hebrews, the word logos meant something different. It meant revelation. It meant everything God wanted us to know about him was the Lagos. Whoever was the Lagos would share with us everything God wants us to know about him. In fact, look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, son of God, who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. So this Lagos, this person who was from the beginning with God, he's called Logos because among the Greeks, he's the one who knew the meaning, the purpose, why we live. But he's also the one that would tell us everything that God wanted us to know about him, about us, and about our future. So of course he's called the, the, the Logos. Now we'll look at what's interesting about him. It says, and the word was with God and the word was what does it say? I don't want to, it says the word was God. Wait, 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 wait. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. God, God. What do we got? Two gods here going on. Now, some of you may have already, you're going to get a little knock on the door. And two very sincere people are going to show up and say, well, the Bible's wrong there. It's not the word was God, but the word was a God. Kind of like, less than God. That's why the Bible says Jesus was the son of God. He wasn't equal to deity. He was the son of God. So he was less divine. Well, well, let me ask you a question. I have two sons. John's 46, Kent's 44. And, and, and uh, uh, I'm the father, they're the sons. And since I am fully human, but they're only my sons, they're less human, right? Hello, anybody thinking about, does this make no sense at all? So you say, well, why? Why is the Lagos called the son? And yet he is with God and he is God. Could you picture the Lagos and God trying to exp uh, work this thing out before all creation? All right, we're going to create beings. Long we're going to have bad attitudes, but we're going to create beings. And we need to explain this relationship of God from the beginning and the Lagos who was with God and is God, they're going to have a headache on this one. And so what relationship can we use to describe the relationship we have? 
What relationship between two persons would they realize this is a close, intimate, sacred relationship? How about father and son? And that's why God the Father says, this day I have begotten you as son. Not this day I created you, but this day as son. Now to make it really clear, the Apostle Paul comes along and in Colossians 1.15, he says, let me make this really clear what John is saying. Colossians 1.15, for the son is the visible image of the invisible God. Huh? Paul says, okay, let's try it again. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, the son is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. The Logos took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Son is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. Do you kind of get it, folks? I'm not making this up. This is right here in the scriptures. Well, you say, you're talking about the Trinity. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, I'm kind of embarrassed about that. Because you talk to people and you say, you believe in a Trinity. Oh, you believe in three gods. No. Well, you believe in the three-headed God. No. I know my Jewish and Muslim friends think I'm blasphemous because I believe Jesus is equal to God. And I worship Jesus, by the way, Hebrews 1, just like the angels do. So we're all blasphemous as well in the angels. So the fact is, is so we, we do dumb things. We try to explain the Trinity. Well, the Trinity's like an egg. You got a shell, and you got the yolk, and you got the white, but it's all one egg. God is not an egg. That doesn't work. Well, 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 okay, how about this? God's like water. It's in three different forms. Sometimes it's liquid. Sometimes it's solid. Sometimes it's steam. But the Bible doesn't say that God is sometimes the Father and sometimes the Son and sometimes he's a spirit. No. See, what do we do? Sigmund Freud. Remember old Sig? Sigmund Freud, he was an atheist. Thought you're all nuts for even believing in God because we all know you've imagined God. You've created gods in your own mind. And I think he's right. You want a powerful God, you know, manly man, kind of let's do a McDonald's supersize. We'll call him Thor. So Thor will be God and have him with a great rip and have him look really good, long hair. Or, you know, on your side, Venus. I want this most beautiful, perfect woman. We'll make her a God. So I think Sigmund Freud's probably correct. Most gods have been imagined by human beings. But here's my question. If I was going to make up, make up a god to worship, would I make up a god I cannot explain nor can I fully understand? See, by the very fact that I don't fully understand how you can have three persons, one godhead, one to three persons as one I don't understand that, and I can't fully explain it, and that's the very evidence that must have been revealed by God himself. Because no human being would have imagined or made that one up. So here he has the son. So remember the question we're trying to ask? Who is this Jesus who says he wants to be my friend, but I do whatever thing he says? You tell me that, jump in the lake. Jesus, before I tell him to jump on the lake, what gives him the right that I would be willing to do whatever he says? Why don't we start with the fact that he's God? Well, okay, he's equal. The word was God. Well, what is Genesis 1-1? What's the first thing? What proves somebody's a God? Because I know people who think they're gods. Me, myself, and I, the blessed trinity. I mean, I'm the God of my own world. I, I am divine, I have the divine spark. I learned that in college. 
Well, let me just ask you a very simple question, you gods. When is the last universe you created? What galaxies did you breathe out of nothing? Because that's the very definition of deity in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, what's the next word? Created. And I create stuff, but I sure haven't created anything out of nothing, and it sure hasn't been any galaxy. So by definition, I'm not divine. But notice what it says here, verse 3, back to John 1. Did this Jesus create anything if he really is equal to the Father? All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. Do you think we can make that clearer? All things. Now, what do you think all things might mean? All things came to being by him and apart from him, nothing. What do you think nothing might mean? Nothing came into being that has come into being. Here he says the Lagos, this second person who becomes flesh later and becomes Jesus, he's the one, like in Psalm 33, he says, and God breathed the universe into existence. Who did the breathing? According to John, it was what? The Lagos. It was the will of the Father, but it was the Son. You say, are you sure? Well, it doesn't make a difference about me being sure, but the Apostle Paul sure was. In Colossians 1, remember when he said, verse 13, and he, the Son, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins, and notice, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Who created the heavens and the earth? The Lagos did. The son who later became Jesus. You know, all of a sudden I'm starting to think maybe I ought to pay attention to this guy. Maybe I ought not to tell him to jump in the lake. Maybe there's a reason I should want to enjoy his friendship. Even if it means I've got to do everything he says. Well then thirdly, he says this in verse 4 and 5. John says, now in him was life. Life is the word zoe, relationship. The essence of living. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So this, this Lagos, who when he took on flesh, became light in darkness. Now, scripture, darkness always meant ignorance, deception. If it was two o'clock in the morning and no moon, it was pitch black in here, darkness, and you walked in, you would be tripping over chairs and bumping into the drums and you'd be hurting yourself big time because darkness biblically always meant to be ignorant. So all you could do is guess. Guess walk this way and many times the guesses would lead you to bruise your shins or have you trip over something because you're in darkness. It says that when this Lagos, who later became Jesus, who became flesh, when he came to this world, he brought life, relationship with God and others, and he basically exposed the darkness by shining light into it. If darkness is ignorance, 
then no wonder he's called Lagos. He brought the truth. But wait, 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 wait. Let's say we're all here. Two o'clock in the morning, no moon, pitch black. And one of us were smart enough, well, flip on the light switch. So if Jesus is the light of the world, Christmas, so flip the light on and we should all see, right? But why is it that not everybody recognizes who this Jesus is? Well, what if half of us were blind? So if half of us were blind, I don't care who flipped the switch on or how bright the light was, half of us would still be in darkness because we're blinded. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and the God of this world has blinded their eyes so they can't even see the light. Well, if we're all blinded and Jesus turns the light on, how are we going to know the truth? John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45. Jesus says, no one will come to me unless the Father draws him, for the prophets say the Father in heaven will cause you to learn of me. You see, it's the Father who removed your blindness so that when the lights were on, you could see the truth. Point is this. Most everybody, everybody, we decide what's right and wrong and we guess. We're guessing what's is important and what's not important. We're guessing as to what's moral and what's immoral. Now you say, well, I, I, I don't guess. Well, then all that means is you're trusting somebody else to guess for you. Because everybody's guessing. Because everybody's in the darkness. Because nobody knows because who's the one that's gonna explain it all? Who's the logos? Jesus. Well, who's going to open our eyes so that we can actually see the truth? So finally, I can understand this puzzle of life. Why do I eat? Why do I breathe? Who am I? Why am I? Where am I going? Who's going to make sense out of living? Why live another day? What's the Lagos? He's the one that's going to stop me from guessing or having to believe everybody guessing in the darkness. He's the one who knows it all. So when I put it all together, you know what I'm going to land with is simply this. All right. Then why should I listen to Jesus? Why should I basically want to be his friend? Now, if his friendship means he's going to mark my worth and care about my well-being. And what I receive from his friendship is the fact that he knows it all. Why? Because he's God. He was with God before everything was created. Why should I want to obey everything he says? It's because he created everything. If he created everything for him and by him, he knows why everything is. Why should I want to obey everything he says to enjoy his friendship? Because he understands everything. He's the light. He's the one who's exposed the reason behind life and everything that we hold dear. All of a sudden, I'm going to go, you know, maybe I'm not going to ask him to jump in the lake after all. Maybe he does have the right to say, I want to be your friend. I want you to enjoy all the benefits of my friendship. And what my friendship offers you is I'm God. I created you and everything. I know the meaning and purpose of living 
I know your destiny. I know your future. I know your past. If you would trust me, I can flow on you blessing and guidance and wisdom so that this life you're living, you could actually enjoy it and extract joy from it and not be driven by fear because you're guessing at everything. Now, that's a friendship I would like to have with Jesus. And as far as trusting him that I would go ahead, if I realize that the only way I'm going to receive the benefits of that friendship is do everything he says. Do everything he says. That's the only way I'm ever going to enjoy the benefits of his friendship. That's what he's talking about. He's not going about talking about control. He's not insecure. Well, if you're going to be my friend, you got to do everything I say because I'm so insecure and I want everybody to like. No, no, this is God, the creator, the light of life. And so he's not saying you got to do everything I say because it makes me feel better because God, the son, has got to feel better and you're the key for him to feel better. He starts, are you reasoning with me here, folks? Now, this is all about us. And this is the only way we can enjoy his friendship the benefits of his friendship if we stay right in abiding in his commands. It was a great ancient historian, Philip Schaff, who wrote this. This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on matters human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet without writing a single, a single line. He set more pins and motions and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. I'd like to pay attention to this guy. If I come up to you and say, you want to be my friend, you got to do everything I say, run! Because I'm just an insecure whatever. But when Jesus says, I want to be your friend, and that means an ahiv, I, I, I want to mark you so that you always understand your worth and I'm so committed to your well-being. And all you got to do in this friendship is do everything I tell you to do and you will come under the blessing of this friendship. This intimate friendship. The one that I've had with the Father even before the beginning. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready. Where do we start? So we hear this, well, God is love. You know, and you go, well, God, I know God is love. Well, no, 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 no. People say, well, well love is a verb. See, God loves. Wait, wait, wait. In, in, in 1 John 4.10 that John also wrote, when he says God is love, which word is the verb? I know we, most of us slept through ninth grade English, but come on, we know that. Is, the verb to be is God is love. Well, if is is the verb, what does that make love? Makes it a predicate nominative. Boy, make money. Write that one down to your friend. All it means, it repeats, defines the nominative, the subject of the sentence. In other words, love is not just something God does. Love is something God is and he always has been. Here's the problem. If God was in existence before the creation of all things, 
And his essence is love. You can't have an essence of love unless there's an other. Love must be, have an object. To have an essence of love, caring about the well-being of another, there needs to be another. So God cannot be love from the beginning unless there was another. And what did John just tell us? Who was the other before the beginning of all things? The Lagos. That's why the Bible's true when it says God is love and he's always been loved. He's always had an object of his love. Now he turns around and then that object of his love says, now you abide in my commands. You keep my commands. All right, get a list. 600 of them. Check them off every day. I got a headache. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. When Jesus called a sheep, that was no compliment. They're the dumbest animals on the earth. John, who wrote this, like I said, he didn't die of, uh, he wasn't martyred, died of natural cause, lived on into his 90s. And like I said, after Patmos, he went back to his home church. And he grew old, he was kind of like the aged one, Presbuteros, they called him, in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And, and Jerome, of the 8th century, tells us that when, when John was so old, he couldn't walk, they would carry him from church to church. Now this is the last I, last living eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Everybody wanted to meet this guy and hear him speak. So, I mean, tickets went for 20 bucks. You bought your 20 buck ticket. You show up tonight. John, the last living apostles talking. So you show up. He's sitting there. And Jerome tells us all he would say is, my children, love one another. He'd do it three times. Love one another. Love one another. I paid 20 bucks for that. So he got pushed back. And he was asked, why is that all you will say? And then he made this statement. For my children, if you love one another, all is sufficient. In that same chapter, John 15, where Jesus said, I want you, I will call you my friends if you do all that I say. Go up three verses and he says, you abide in the Father's love by abiding in my love. You keep my commandments by keeping the commandment to love. Now what is that? Kissy facey, huggy body? Let's go around and just keep hugging everybody? No, 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 no. Greeks had different words for love. They had the word eros, passion. That's not even mentioned in the scriptures. They had the word philo. When you share something in common that's really cool, you have this friendship, philo love. It's great. It's an emotion. You have storge. That's what you got for Uncle Bowman and Aunt Zelma. I mean, that's family, Thanksgiving type of thing where you have blood. But that's an emotion. And you can't command an emotion. But the word used by Jesus is the word agape. And you can't command an emotion, which means initially love is not an emotion. Initially, it's a, it's a choice of your will. What am I choosing to do? The word simply means this, to recognize your worth and care about your well-being. If everybody I bump into tomorrow, this afternoon, every child, my wife, my kids, my friends, you, every person I bump into, if the first thing on my mind is I acknowledge your worth, a daughter of the Heavenly Father, and in my mind, if there's anything I can do at that moment for your well-being, I'm on it. That's loving. No more, no less. And if that's the way I view people around me, everything Christ has commanded me to do, don't worry about it, because you'll be doing it. You'll be doing it. 
It's like that old thing, this one thing. Do the one thing and you'll fulfill all the laws, commands of Christ. And he'll be your friend. You'll be right where you need to be for you to enjoy all the benefits of a relationship with the Lagos. God, the Son, creator of heavens and earth, author of light and truth and understanding, and he can be my friend. I don't know about you, I may just not need any of you after that, but that's not the point. The point is, so why would I not want to abide in his love, keep his command, and enjoy the friendship of God's, the Son, Jesus Christ? I just don't want to be his defense attorney. I just don't want him to be an icon that I worship or praise. He wants to be my friend. I would like him to be your friend too. Now we know exactly where we need to be to enjoy the friendship. Does that make sense? So do I give everybody A's today or anybody want to fail? Heavenly Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the privilege that they would come and even listen. Nobody walked out. So Father, I'm grateful that they would at least be open to hear your word through the Apostle John. And as we would come and reason together, Lord, that we would all see the wisdom of embracing the friendship of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and God's people said. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.